Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Ryan, he's Mike, it's Eggs. This is Eggs. This is Eggs. What's Eggs? Eggs is a podcast about all things creative, regardless of what that means to you. From the creativity involved in launching a business, building a brand, crafting an entertainment career, or whatever, we'll talk about the process of growing your eggs from start to finish. How you doing, man? I heard you had a little bit of a cold last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I guess, you know, to, to start from the top, I'm uh, still over in Barcelona. This is my last week here. Um... We uh, have been doing this international show for five weeks now, and uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty happy with how it's been working out. I don't think the uh, energy is exactly the same uh, with us being on different parts of the world. I much prefer doing this with you in the in the studio. Well, yeah, it's a lot easier to kind of, you know, read your body language and kind of react to what you're going to say because I can see what you're doing. Yeah. But then last week was really tough because uh, working out of the car like we were and you being... You know, it was just a bad situation. The streaming quality was uh, poor. You kept cutting out, and I kept cutting out on your end. So if you listen to last week and there's a lot of, like, kind of the banter's not there, it's because we didn't hear everything, and we were trying to kind of fill in the blanks, and it was just a bad situation. I will pat us on the back and say I appreciate our stick-to-itiveness, but I will uh, sort of cop to that. Last week was, you know, it was a bit off. And, uh, you know, so... It's unfortunate, but you know we did the best we could with the, the the hand we've been given. I think we had some good talking points and discussion uh, in it, even though it wasn't. Uh, you were telling the story about how the kids would go to Spain and and uh, the language learning classes, and then kind of cancel halfway through and and uh, use the refund to go party. Yeah. And I didn't hear any of that, and so oh, I kind of I heard like three or four words, and and it was like, yeah, that's funny, because <laughs> I I literally knew nothing what you said. Yeah, I know. Yeah. it's a bummer, but that's all right. You're uh, back in Idaho this week, so you're back in a formal studio. I'm still with my makeshift studio here in Barcelona, but my God, we have internet access, and uh, and we're in pretty good shape. Yeah. So good anyway. Go. Back to what you were saying. Yeah, I've been sick for, I don't know, maybe a week now. Uh, I don't know what it is. One of my buddies, a Spanish guy, was like, oh, you know, you got to love those Spanish viruses. So I don't know if I actually have a Spanish virus or if I just picked up a chest cold or something. Uh, you know, it's been body aches and and uh, fever for a couple nights and stuff like that. And I finally went to the pharmacy and got some medication, and that's been, uh, been helping, I think. And so... Uh, so, I mean, in general, I, I'm back on my feet, but uh, the problem was, like, so last week, I started feeling crappy, like maybe, I don't know, it might have been as early as, as when we recorded the last show, but maybe by, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, I was in the, in the middle of it. Full swing. And, yeah, and, uh, and, you know, and even now, like, I'll have to pull away from the mic every now and then and cough, but um, the... Uh, the the big problem was a Friday night. Um, I, I, we've sort of adopted this thing at the, the Spanish school I'm going to for everybody who's missed previous uh, shows. Uh, the reason I'm over here in Spain, I mean, outside of doing some work and some business and stuff like that, is I, I'm attending a Spanish language academy here. And so, you know, we've been with the same group of people uh, almost the entire time now. So for the last five weeks, we've been rocking with sort of the same crew. 
And, uh, you know, there's a few that are going to be here a while longer, but most of us are, are starting to fall off. And so a couple of weeks ago, we had dinner for one guy uh, to sort of say farewell. You know, last week we had another one. And this, this last Friday, we, we had another one. So I went out with uh, this group of Italians. There are a mountain of Italian people at, the, at this school. I guess uh, for people trying to study languages, I guess it's the uh, bridge easiest to cross. If you're Italian, uh, you come speak Spanish. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, I guess the, the languages are, I've heard a bunch of numbers bandied about, so don't quote me, but I, I think there's something like 60 or 70% similar. So, you know, if you're native Italian, you can pick up a lot of Spanish pretty fast and, huh. you know, and vice versa, I guess, you know, you can go the other way. If you're native Spanish, you could pick up some Italian fairly quickly. And it makes sense. I mean, spending all this time with these Italian guys and stuff, uh, I've, I wouldn't say I've picked anything up, but I'm definitely able uh, to pick out words here and there and stuff, things that cross over. Uh, as I'm sitting and listening to them speak Italian because they won't stop speaking Italian when they're together. <laughs> so anyway, this Friday, um, I went out to dinner, or this last Friday, I went out to dinner with this group of, of people. Uh, one of the, the folks who was leaving was this Italian girl uh, named Melissa. And so Melissa was going home. Uh, last Friday was her last day. And so we went out to dinner. And I was already kind of in the throes of feeling super shitty. And uh, so... You know, I told them I'd come out for dinner or whatever. They were going to go out and party after, but I was like, I don't think I can do it. And so anyway, so I went out with them. We went, we had this awesome Italian dinner uh, at this place. You know, shout out to these guys because the place was great. The food was fantastic. It's called Was it legit Italian or was yeah, it Yeah, it was just, legit. Okay. I was there with seven Italians and they and they all bit off. You know, they said it was great. Best best Italian food they'd had in, in Barcelona. And uh it, but the place is called Sports Bar. <laughs> what? So you'd have you'd have no idea, right? And so you know, I mean, they've got TVs and stuff. You know, they got some soccer gear up on the walls and stuff. But when we got there, there wasn't even a TV on for one. I mean, so you know, okay, sports bar, I guess. But anyway, when you're looking for Italian food, you you're not looking up sports bar in the in the uh, yellow no. pages or whatever they have here. You know, the uh, Amarillo pages here, I guess. So anyway, uh, they. Uh, or, so we went to this place. We'd had one of my friends and, and one of our teachers had, had both recommended this restaurant. So we were like, okay, let's give it a shot. So we went out and uh, and had dinner. It was great. The food was awesome. Everything was really good. And what did uh, you order? I I actually just had a a pizza uh, at the uh, recommendation of these Italian guys because they said basically, you know, if it's a good Italian pizza, it'll be a great pizza. So you should have that. So I, I've actually had more pizza on this trip than I've ever had in Spain. Spanish pizza is good. In general, I, I mean, I like it. They, it's sort of the thin crust style, you know, kind of cracker crusty, and you know, more like a Nepal. What do they call it? Napolitano, Napolitano, whatever it is, Italian style pizza. <laughs> and uh, and so anyway, it's um, anyway, it was it was really good. And uh, and but we also ordered a couple like appetizer plates with a variety of different foods and uh, tiramisu for dessert, which was awesome. Everything was great. So after the after the uh, after we're done eating, I tried to to hang for a minute, but finally I just told the dudes I was like I, I gotta go. I was like they're getting ready to go to the club and stuff, and I was just, I, I just can't. And so uh, so after that, I just I went home, called it a night, and uh, and tried to sleep through uh, some of this sickness I've got. So anyway, the next day on Saturday, and uh, I don't remember the whole day, but in the afternoon. 
or uh, yeah, I guess later in the afternoon, I went down to Castle the Fells, uh, which is the town where Anna lives, where my partner Anna lives. So I went down, I had lunch uh, with her and her mom and, uh, and just hung out for a little while. And uh, then afterwards, uh, they decided they wanted to go out. So, uh, you know, we had lunch with, with mom or, oh, okay. No, I'm missing a whole piece of that day. Holy crap. No. <laughs> okay. So Anna and I went to uh, Majwik. Uh, which is a you know just a little mountain here in town, but it's got a uh, it's where the Olympics were held, and actually by today, not the day you're hearing this, but on the day we're recording it, the 25th uh, is the 25th anniversary of the Olympics being here in Barcelona. Oh and, really? Uh, so they actually had the the torch running through town a little while ago, and all this stuff. It's a whole thing going on. That's but cool. uh, but anyway, so over the weekend on Saturday, Anna and I went up to to Montjuic to the Olympic Park, and we you know just kind of did a little tourism. We went through the uh, uh, Catalan Art Museum, uh, which is insane. I mean, they've got 2,000-year-old works of Roman art, you know, that have been pulled out of cathedrals and castles and stuff. And, I mean, it's it's just insane. I mean, you know, for people from the States especially, you know, stuff just doesn't come that old. And uh, and this stuff was old, you know, I mean, real ancient stuff. And uh, and so it was really cool. I mean, there's, you know, of course, some more modern art and things like that, too. But they have a lot of the, the really old Catalan art stuff from this this region of Spain. And uh, so anyway, that was really cool. Nobody will ever go to art museums with me besides Anna. So it, so I had to take advantage of having somebody to go with me. So uh, so we did that. We had lunch together and then um, split for a few hours. And then that night, Saturday night, coming back around finally, uh, we, uh, or I went down to Castle de Fels and I met them for dinner, her and uh, a couple of her girlfriends. Uh, one is her, her best friend, Lydia, and then uh, another friend. And so I, uh, met them for dinner. We had a really nice meal. Uh, you know, I wasn't super hungry, but you know, it was okay. And, uh, and then after they're like, well, Hey, you know, why don't we go grab a drink or something? And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll go have a drink. And, uh, Lydia is a surgeon. She's a doctor. And so I was asking her cause I was on cold medicine and all, you know, beaked up on cold medicine. And I was like, you know, how much should I drink? I was like, I'm not sure about having any, really any drinks or whatever. And you know, she, well, uh, go ahead. Alcohol dehydrates you. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. probably not good to drink any and just drink a bunch of water. Right. You know? But you know, as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, then <laughs> when, when in Spain, you do as the, Ro- uh, the Spanish do. And I imbibed in a gin and tonic or 10. And, um, <laughs> it happens. What do you know? on cold medicine and everything else. Uh, basically we ended up, we went from bar to bar to disco and we got home at like five thirty, five forty-five in the morning. And I was like in physical pain. My body hurt so much. I don't know if it was just from the booze or the booze and the medicine mixed, or I don't know what it was, but man, I felt like I was just hit by a truck and it threw me into like a dark depression. I mean, at like five in the morning, I was just pissed. I mean, it was, it was not a good, not a good combination of things. It, it didn't go very well for me. And so anyway, I ended up getting home really late and, uh, and yeah, it was just death. So anyway, Saturday or Sunday, literally all day in bed. Like I, I got up once to move my laundry and I got up once to microwave a pizza again with the pizza. And, uh, and that, that's literally it. The rest of the day in bed until bedtime. And then I went to bed. So <laughs> It Sounds bad, like a fun day. Bad news bears. It was a total waste of a day. It worked out okay, though, because it was actually super rainy and kind of crappy here. So it worked out okay. It was, you know, good use of bad weather. 
But well, of course, I, I was just having this conversation with my sister about how every quarter or whatever I have one of those days where I just don't want to do anything, and I literally just lay in bed all day and watch Netflix and eat popcorn. And to me, that that is priceless. Just having one of those days where you're like, screw it, I'm not working, I'm not doing anything. I've earned a day off, and I'm going to do nothing but, you know, Netflix and binge. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, it was nice. I mean, I watched 100 movies and, and Netflix, and I finished Narcos, though, which is a bummer because uh, now I don't have I Narcos wasn't anymore. impressed with the ending on it, yeah. Well, I mean, it's history, so I mean, it's yeah. kind of... I know, I know, I know. It just was like, it was, Yeah. Anyways. I mean, yeah, I, I wanted it to maybe be a little more uh, dramatic or a little more something, but it just sort of wrapped up. Yeah. But uh, I won't spoil it for everyone who, you know, skipped, uh, you know, history class. But uh, but it was definitely, uh, I mean, a good series in general. I really liked it. And for me here in Spain, part of my homework has been um, to watch series and TV shows in Spanish. And it's cool uh, uh, on Netflix in Spain, the uh, ver- version of Spanish everything is in is European Spanish instead of Latin American Spanish, which is what we get in the States. And so I'm going to have to figure out how to get European Spanish when I get home. But uh, but anyway, so I, wa- I watched season two of Narcos in, in Spanish. And so that was kind of you know interesting and fun. But I really like the show, so I'm bummed I'm, I'm through it. Were you picking up on... A lot of the dialogue. Yeah, um, dialogue. The, tr- the trick was I, I wouldn't have got it if I just listened, but I listened and I put on the subtitles. Nice. And with both, with you know being able to read along and being able to uh, hear it, I could basically hear it and follow along pretty well. And so uh, anyway, it, it worked out pretty darn good. But needless to say, so did you put the all uh, day long? Oh, go ahead. Did you put the uh, subtitles in English or Spanish? Did you listen in English? No, no, it was all in Spanish. Spanish. Spanish, Spanish language, Spanish subtitles. Oh, okay. So, and uh, I uh, was, uh, I was just curious because I was wondering, you know, like which would be easier to learn, like if you, if you were reading the Spanish text and listening in English, if it would help you, your brain pick it up. I don't know. Anyways. No, for me, it actually, it works the opposite. Um, even though they're speaking in Spanish, like if I just heard them speaking in Spanish, I probably would miss most of it. But, um, by seeing it at the same time, I can read it as quickly as they're saying it so I can keep up. And there's enough words that look similar to English words in Spanish that I can pick out the context or there's enough vocabulary that I have in Spanish that I could, you know, pick it up as it went. And, uh, and also and, and the, the subtitles usually show up before the talking does. So you, you're reading ahead too. So it probably allows your brain to, you know, be ready for the, the word. Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, I've, I've heard from another number of people, uh, teachers, friends, everybody that, you know, watching series or, or listening to radio shows or listening to music, whatever, in whichever language you're trying to learn, you know, is the best way to do it or is a good way to do it. And, uh, and so anyway, I've been trying, that's, you know, been my homework. So good. anyway, but yeah, so like I said, all, all day in bed Sunday, just trying to recover Monday, I was maybe feeling like 80% today. I'm feeling like 81%, but, uh, but still like infinitely better. So, and I'm kind of talking a lot, so feel free to interrupt anytime. But then today there was kind of a lot going on too. So sure. Uh, yeah. I, I figure I'd let you get through the story and kind of. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Go from there. You know, busy day. 
So anyway, today um, we uh, we finally got a chance to sit down with one of our Spanish. Uh, I guess we'd call him an associate or something. He's a, a guy. He's a director of a, an online university here. Uh, really good dude. Uh, he's actually the the very first. Spanish person to ever respond to me when we first started cold emailing people in Spain uh, when we first decided to come over here. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of break that down how you decided to or found your first few clients or contacts there because it's, you know, it's you literally just jumped on LinkedIn and started looking for people in Spain and, and sent them random emails, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we certainly didn't know anybody at, at the time we were coming here. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, we did exactly that. I signed up for LinkedIn premium for their like, you know, gold package or whatever. So and, what's the difference between the basic uh, LinkedIn? The only thing I could tell or the only tool that I use now, and there could be a hundred other things, but the only, only thing I really used was, um, they is it's got like a more robust search feature, so I was able to search for people in certain types of jobs, you know, CMO, uh, marketing director, you know, whatever sort of job titles specifically in regions that I wanted, and so I was able to do some you know searching and look for people in in jobs that I or in roles that I thought might hire creative people in you know in Barcelona, and so. Uh, so anyway, so I did that and, uh, you know, I, I don't know, I searched up, you know, hundreds of different names, but I reached out to, I don't know, maybe 50 or 60 in sort of our first batch. And, uh, and yeah, and we put together, you know, a nice email and all this stuff. And it was before I realized that that sort of ploy generally won't work here in Spain. <laughs> Most of the time when people get some kind of weird solicitation like that, they just kind of wash their hands of it and walk away. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've covered it on a previous episode, but I mean, there's a lot of, you know, they've got to know you like, you trust you here. There's no, uh, no way around it. You can't shortcut it. And, uh, you know, in the States when I've done the same kind of maneuver, when we're coming into a market or if we're trying to do something new, you know, generally I'll get some response, you know, not generally just radio silence anyway. And so, uh, but in this case, uh, almost everybody shut us out. Uh, there was one other guy, but he turned out to be kind of a nothing. And then there was this dude. His name's Guillermo. And uh, Guillermo has basically, you know, the first time I came to Spain, he was our first business meeting over here. You know, he was really interested in what we were doing. He was working for a different company at the time. But he uh, he worked with us and talked to us. And, you know, ultimately we did end up doing one project for his former company. Um, you know, and now he's he's working with another place and, and you know, now in a director role and, uh, you know, I don't know when or if or whatever we're going to have any opportunities with him, but we've, we've made a really, you know, good, friendly relationship with him. And tonight, you know, we, we got to go meet him again uh, for a beer and some potatoes or papas bravas, you know, which is their favorite thing in the world here. And uh, and so we went and had, had the papas and had uh, had a couple of beers and hung out with Guillermo for an hour or two. And, uh, you know, just really had a great conversation. It sounds like we're really starting to head down the path, uh, you know, to some new business maybe. Uh, he's going to make some introductions to some important people and other companies for us. I mean, you know, we've been nurturing this for a while and uh, and I've been telling people and, you know, I mean, it's been a little bit of a, you know, mental challenge for me, you know, because like, I really like it here. I, I really enjoy Spain. I like the culture. I like the people, you know, in case I haven't beat that into the ground over the last five weeks. <laughs> yeah, but, we, we um, get that. 
Yeah, so, you know, but for new listeners who don't realize which is, uh, how much a suck-ass I am, um, <laughs> you know, I really, I really do enjoy all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's expensive to come here. It's a time commitment. Uh, it's a big commitment to have to learn another language to do business. And those are all things I was willing to take on just because I like it here and because I like the people. And, you know, I have uh, my partner here and some friends here and stuff. And, you know, so for me, it's it's always been worth it. But I was explaining to one of, one of our partners here, I was just like, you know, I mean, I've been coming back and forth for a couple of years now. You know, I've always bought dinners. I've always you know, nurtured. I've always been friendly. I've always done whatever I can. You know, if anybody asks for anything, you know, it's, they get prompt attention, they get whatever it is they need, you know, cause I'm, I'm really trying to woo these people and, and develop good relationships. And, um, you know, but after two years, you know, we're just, we're not really seeing the needle moving all that yeah. much, you know, and, and, you know, in the States and which I'm more accustomed to, you know, stuff just gets done. You know, it's more of a, I have a project, you have a, a solution, I have money. You will accept money for said solution. Done. And it's you know, you done. shake a hand yeah. and you move on. Or you, just, in a lot of cases, you don't even shake a hand. You just send an email or a tweet and be done. And um, you know, but over here, it just doesn't work that way. And you know, so I have been struggling a little bit. I mean, not to the point of doing anything rash or anything, but I mean, you know, I've been struggling a little bit because it's I, you know, I just I really want it to work out, and so the more I'm over here and stuff just doesn't happen, the more frustrated I'm getting. And, uh, you know, so I was talking to this guy, this Guillermo about that a little bit tonight. And it sounds like finally, maybe there's some, some things, some opportunities for us. And he's uh, a part of a couple different startups and things that are doing really well right now and may have some need for us. And so, uh, maybe all this hard work and all this suck assery will finally pay off. But, um, you know, and I mean, if it doesn't with Guillermo, but it does with somebody else, fine, whatever. I mean, really, I, I don't need a lot to be satisfied. I just need yeah. a little something to satiate me and sort of, you know, give me a carrot on the end of a stick to to chase. You know, well, because, if anything, you're getting a great write off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, and don't get me wrong. I mean, getting to spend, you know, I don't know, ten weeks a year in Spain, uh, not a problem. I mean, that's a, a pretty sweet, uh, pretty sweet thing to get to uh, to get to do. You know, I mean, it definitely beats, you know, working at Shopco like I did back in the old days. You know, I mean, it's a significant improvement over working for somebody. But at the same time, it costs money. I'm making decisions to take that money. And rather than hire a person for a month, I'm in Spain for five weeks, you yeah. know, or whatever it is. And so, I mean, I'm allocating resources so that I can do this and so that I can nurture these folks over here. But at some point, I've just, I've got to start seeing some returns and, uh, you know, and it sounds like maybe we're finally on the cusp of that. So oh, anyway, awesome. Lord willing, fingers crossed anyway. So, but then one other little thing, and I just, I have to say it because I, I don't know why I was so made so giddy by this, but, uh, but after our meeting with Guillermo, so Anna and I went to, uh, just a couple shops and I told you while I was making you wait, you know, I told you I had to make a couple stops while you were waiting on me, uh, so I could come do the, the show with you. But, uh, but all good. We, st- we stopped at this place that was, uh, it's a bag shop and I will have to, okay, bear with me for a second. I'm going to, I'm going to get off mic and grab my bag so I can tell you the name brand. Cause sure. you, you should know. Okay. You sorry, for, sorry for that. Super, super <laughs> unprofessional. I know. Oh, it's um, all good. <laughs> 
Anyway, the name brand is called Nukak or Nukak or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's it's got all How's kinds it spelled? of it's N U with a circle over it, K with an apostrophe over it, A K with a quote sign over it. I don't know what that means or what language it hails from. Um, I suspect a, a Google search will solve some of those questions for us. Yeah, but then you have to figure out how to type those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect you could probably get away with just typing uh, this Nukak or N U K A K dot E S. But anyway, it's a uh, it's a scar. This uh, what I bought was a, a messenger bag, but it's made out of like recycled tires, uh, or like inner tubes from tires. And so, uh, and I can I can post a picture on her Instagram or something. But I'm it's uh, at the website right now. Yeah, but it's I mean it's really slick. It's a cool little bag, and it's you know it's got this cool rubberized texture. The uh, the strap is like seatbelt material. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really cool little bag. I, I just, I had never seen one like it before and it was really cool, but it was inside this shop, uh, called Vaho, I think Vaho, something like that. Anyway, they, they call their, themselves trashin bags, uh, handmade in Barcelona. And what they do is they go around and they collect all the old, like banners, you know, things uh, that are, are printed out on vinyl to uh, promote events. Oh, I saw something on uh, Shark Tank about this. Yeah, and then they take those, they hack them up, and they make bags and wallets and all kinds of stuff out of them. They were saying that they get their materials for super cheap because it's all like the billboard ads and the the big print vinyl that they use to put those up. Yeah, I mean, if they were sneaking, they just go snag the stuff off the streets. I mean, there's 100 events a night in Barcelona. Well, they literally just like ship them to them for free or well, yeah, because I mean, it's it's just a way to recycle that material, and there's a lot of waste, you know. I mean, especially with like billboards and anything timely, that stuff is you know out of date in no time flat. And so, uh, you know, so there's a ton of this material out there. And so it's really cool. You can go to this place and you can buy a bag or whatever. And, you know, they're made out of these, you know, event banners and stuff from things going on here in Barcelona. It's all local stuff. And uh, so it's, it's really cool. I really like it. I think that this, this particular bag that I bought may be some other brand from some other place. But, uh, but it was in this store and they had all this stuff in there. It's really cool. Um, their website is uh, vaho.ws. Or uh, Facebook.com slash Vaho Works, V-A-H-O awesome. Works. So and I'll, I'll put all that in the show notes. But, uh, but anyway, uh, I suspect they do, but I don't know. I haven't been on their website or anything, So, but we'll have to check it out. But either way, they're, they're definitely worth checking out and looking into just because it's cool. Uh, really cool stuff. And I, and I think a really clever use of that kind of stuff. I mean, there's so much waste in advertising and marketing and uh, you know, just with these printed banners and vinyl signs and stuff like that, because, you know, you use the stuff once for one event and then it's toast, you know, then well, not even that, even just direct mail in general, just the, the millions of just random letters you get for no reason that, you know, I just tear in half and throw in the garbage most of the time or recycle bin, but it just seems like a waste to me, you know? Well, like, yeah. I mean, just to, I mean, to give you an idea of scale, I mean, I can't say the client's name, but for one of our clients of a client, uh, we're sending 81 million direct mail pieces this year. That's insane. You know, I mean, it's absolutely nuts. I mean, that's, you know, a third of the population is receiving one of these things. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much waste there is. And anyway, I, I thought these guys were really a, uh, a clever use of, uh, of those materials. Well, props but wait, for there's more. Creative. Oh. <laughs> so 
next stop on the way, uh, before I t- uh, hop back on the train, I walked with Anna over to the Nescafe store. Um, so Nescafe is, you know, like coffee over here. And I mean, it's n- nothing fancy or whatever. It's kind of a K-cup sort of thing, you know? And uh, I actually have a Nescafe come out of a vending maker machine? in the States. No, no. It's, I mean, where we, where we went was a Nescafe shop. Okay. So it a, it's a store, but think of it like, uh, the, you know, we have Nescafe in the States, but it, it's maybe a little more common, like the, the Keurig K-cups. Okay. Okay, so think of it like that. It's it's the same concept. It's coffee and a little instant cup, and you put it into a machine, and it makes you coffee. So, um, side question, not to distract you. Have you heard anything about getting cancer from those, from the hot water the going cups. through the plastic? Yeah. No, but that's terrifying. <laughs> Sorry, I not to ruin your whole <laughs> coffee dream, but I've actually uh, heard rumors of that, and I, I want to do some research on it. But anyways, continue. <laughs> Sorry. No worries. <laughs> so anyway, we uh we went into this Nescafe shop and the place looks like a uh an Apple store or something. It's seriously two and a half floors, you know, sort of split level kind of thing. Floor to ceiling, these coffee pods, they come in little boxes like little sleeves of ten. And I mean it's literally floor to ceiling, a hundred varieties of these things. You know, they've got maybe twenty or thirty coffee makers in here, but I bet they've got 20,000 square feet dedicated to just selling coffee pods. And I mean, that's like the key product is just coffee pods. And you go in and you take a number and you wait your turn. And when they call you, you may come up and, you know, order the stuff you'd like. And uh, I just That's was weird. blown away. Do you pick the coffee pod off the wall and bring it up to them, or do they? Do you have no, no, to, like, they've got like a, a little menu in front of the the register, and you just pick out which ones you want, and the person will go and retrieve them from this back wall. And uh, I mean, God, I, I've I got have a hard time being creative at Starbucks, let alone trying to think of the thousand. Well, and this is this isn't even a drink shop. This is just where you go to buy the raw coffee to take home. Oh. You just go and you you just go. I mean, they have a little shop in there, but you just go and you buy your pods, and then you take them home and put them, you know, put them in your own machine. That'd be kind of cool. And so this is literally just a, a shop for K cups. That's twenty thousand square feet dedicated to selling K cups and a handful of machines to make them. Like I that's mean, it's crazy. The, the craziest thing I've ever seen. <clears throat> and to boot, uh, it's about half price compared to what it cost me to buy the same uh, Nescafe cups in the States, which is also wildly frustrating. But culturally, the people here in Spain are so used to buying cheap coffee, they won't buy real expensive coffee. So if it's real expensive, they won't buy it. But like, I yeah, bought hand. six sleeves or no, nine sleeves of it tonight. It was about $30. I bought five sleeves for about $70 back home in the States. So it's I'm paying $1.40 a cup and she's paying about 40 cents a cup. Huh. And so it's uh, it's crap is what it is. But I was just, yeah, I, I don't know why I was so taken back by this shop. And I, I have one crappy photo I can put on Instagram or something. But it's, uh, it blew me away. I couldn't believe Speaking it. of that, uh, getting screwed over by pricing, uh, my car insurance just went up for, um, it went up $120 a year. And uh, the reason why, when I called in to try and find out, uh, Idaho, or Pocatello, the the city I live in, has been rated higher, uh, more accident prone. And so overall, all the policies written in Idaho by them in Pocatello have increased. Uh, So pretty much everyone that's driving like idiots, thank you for raising my car insurance. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. So yeah. I think there's some brand marketed by a lizard or something. I think they'll save you 15% or something. I don't know. <laughs> you should check it out. Yeah, but um, <laughs> whatever. It's yeah, just yeah. a hassle. You, you want to go in and do a price search and, and get quotes from three different companies. It's it's almost easier to just say whatever and just pay the extra 120 bucks. But I don't yeah, know. No. I'm just frustrated. Well, it is crap. Well, and see, the thing is, as a guy, we're always sort of – uh, you know, at a disadvantage when it comes to, to insurance, you know, the lady folks feel like they've got it so bad, but from the time we can drive, we pay more for insurance, you know, basically our whole lives because we're guys. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to give you a little bit, uh, a break after 25 or something, but from 18 to 25, you pay half again more just for the pure fact of being a guy it has nothing to yep. do with your driving record or anything else. It's just, you know, guys are more likely to cause problems. Therefore, guys pay more. Higher risk, higher premium. And that's the whole reason when he was explaining it to me, I was like, what happened? I haven't got a ticket. I haven't sped. I haven't, you know, if anything, it should have gone down because I had a ticket a few years ago and it should be falling off soon. So I I, I couldn't understand why it went up. And he said, really, it's just a, you know, your city has had a significantly high amount of accidents in the last few years. So we have deemed it a risk and raised your your rates because of that. So wow, it's all all just, those rednecks, those dudes, <laughs> those dudes with the big old pickups. They're the ones out causing problems. The same ones that pretty much. Yeah, come on. Yeah, no, that I sucks, though, man. Because I mean, traditionally speaking, I mean, you know, having paid car registration and everything else in Idaho for a hundred years, I mean, it's traditionally cheaper than everywhere. <laughs> you know well, what I, I mean. I guess it's a wash because if I were to register my car in Seattle, I'd be paying probably two or three hundred dollars just because I have yeah, a car. In that's Seattle. that's how it is in so. Utah. So I think it's about two or three hundred bucks, and then, but I, I think in Idaho, I don't know exactly, but it's like fifty or sixty dollars. It's pretty yeah, pretty darn reasonable. Much. Okay, I'm I'm over it. I got over it just because <laughs> we're good. But that's okay though. It was an important gripe because uh, insurance sucks and it always has. Yeah. So that's bad news bears. So anyway, well, yeah, so that was my day and weekend and week. And so, uh, so all that said, sort of, you know, this is my final hurrah. I've got a couple more days of school left here. When do you Uh, fly back? Well, as we're recording, this is Tuesday, the 25th. Ooh, one day after pie and beer day, by the way. Oh, um, which is, uh, what all the hit go out on a high pioneer day. Um, but, uh, and for the people that don't know Pioneer Day, I'll circle back around. Um, <laughs> anyway, and so today's Tuesday. I fly out on Monday, this coming Monday, the 31st. Uh, so I've got class the rest of this week. Uh, I was invited to a party Thursday night uh, on the beach down in Castle of Fells, but I, I don't think I can do it with school Friday morning. I'm just, I'm too old for this crap. And yep. so, anyway, so I suspect I will not be partying Thursday. Uh, then Anna and Mar and Berta and the, the whole, whole crew, everybody not together, but they're all leaving. So I'm basically stranded here in Barcelona with no friends all weekend. So, <laughs> so kind of a bummer. My last weekend here, I'll, I'll spend alone, but, uh, but on Saturday I'm going to go to, they're doing a little, uh, uh, school activity. The, the one thing about this Academy and I should give them maybe a little bit of love or maybe make them pay for it. Is uh is uh the they they're really good about activities stuff to do for the kids that are you know not ripping off the system to go party but staying in school the whole time 
Yeah. You know, for a pretty nominal fee. I think this one was 12 euros or something. Uh, we get to go on a bus for a couple hours to a city in the north. I think it's called Caracas, something like that. And uh, anyway, it's another city up in, in the Costa Brava region of Spain. It's right up on the border of France. And it's, uh, you know, beautiful beaches, all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, on Saturday, I'll go up there um, as sort of the last hurrah with uh, some of my classmates and everything before I go home. Uh, and then Sunday, you know, pack and Monday I'm, I'm on the road. So, uh, anyways. so you'll be back, uh, so I'll be back Tuesday on Monday. Or? No, uh, oh. because of the time difference, I will leave here Monday at 10 AM and I get to Salt Lake at, uh, like seven 30 at night on Monday. Nice. So um, next time we record, it'll be yeah, it'll in be person Tuesday in person, unless you decided that you love this, uh, Zencaster thing so much that you don't want to talk anymore in person. No, I'll, I'll make but, uh, if you'd like to come see me, you know, I'm, I'm much more tan now. It's definitely better to look at me now. <laughs> so and and Lord willing, I've lost a couple pounds too. I mean, Jesus, I uh, I walk oh, well, the 120 steps I up, up and downstairs. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, come on. There's got to be something, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, we'll see. But uh, I, I have not had a scale here, so I don't know if anything positive has happened. But I'm hopeful that I uh, shed a couple. So uh, anyway, but yeah, so. Grand, grand finale. This will be our last episode from Spain, uh, at least in the foreseeable future. Uh, I suspect it will be a hard sell to my wife to come back again this year. Uh, I don't know, though. Uh, maybe with some of these opportunities we're talking about, maybe around November, December, I may come back, but probably not before then. So that, I think, will be that. Well, yeah, hopefully something works out where it's justifiable. Yeah, so. well, Lord willing. I, uh, I hope so, anyway. So anyhow, getting into, I mean, we've sort of, you know, wrapped for a good part of the show, but that was kind of, I mean, it was kind of fun. There's a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about. And so I'm glad we could kind of rip through it, but we do have a subject for the day and, uh, it's a little cliche. Uh, you've been told it by your mother for maybe your whole life. Well, me, literally I have. (laughs) And, uh, and you know, from family and friends and, Every person who saw you suck at something was sort of backhanded trying to encourage you to do well. Uh, the, and, the, and the concept is, or the idea is, practice makes perfect. And uh, it sounds like super, you know, common sense information or, a, you know, such a, a no-brainer. But I think there's a lot to it, actually. There's a, you know, a lot of phrases sort of around it. You know, you got practice makes perfect. But the one that, that always kills me, and, uh, and I, I think both Mike and I are, are sort of victims of this one, is sort of that jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Oh, that describes and, uh, me perfectly. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't want to go so far as to say a master of none. I feel like I, you know, there's a few things I'm pretty darn good at. But, um, you know, and, and I think any small business person or anybody trying to get something going, build a company, you know, start a clothing company, whatever it is, I think you could probably relate, but I mean, you know, in those jobs, I mean, you can't run out and hire everybody. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got to wear many hats. And so as a result, you do, you have you to figure it out. Skills. You have to and, try it. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and both Mike and I have, have done a hundred different jobs for a hundred different people doing a hundred different things and, uh, and developed, you know, a pretty diverse skill set. Um, you know, everything sort of circles around what we're good at or what we know and love. But, you know, we, we have a pretty broad range of, of skills. And, uh, you know, some people spend all day 
you know, I, I don't know, engineering, you know, working in AutoCAD and they become the best darn AutoCAD guy you could, you could be. But, you know, for me, I, I'm not that way. You know, I'm good with, you know, dozens of, of pieces of software. I'm good with, you know, web development. I'm good with uh, graphic design. I'm good with drawing. I'm good with, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a, a broad range of things that I am capable of doing. And, and, you know, in my experience, it's been better for me than worse. Uh, it's definitely made me more marketable to people. But at the same time, it's been my detriment. When I talk about our business and I'm trying to sell the company and this is something I need to work on, uh, you know, within our business is, uh, I'm not great at pitching the company because I'm quick to say, well, God, yeah, we can do anything. You just tell us what you want. But unfortunately saying you can do everything is the same as saying you do nothing. And, uh, you know, it's sort of the whole, uh, if everybody's special, nobody's special kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, so unfortunately, even though we are good at a lot of things, um, you know, we sort of need to, you know, niche down a little bit and try to, to pick a couple things or, or depending on who we're trying to pitch or who we're trying to sell something to, you know, we need to think about the way we pitch and narrow it down to the one or two skills that they really need for what they're trying to accomplish versus just saying, hey, man, we're a, a Swiss Army knife that can just do anything you need. You because, want it, we got it, we can do it. Yeah, the yeah. whole one-stop shop mentality just I don't think does us too many favors. Well, it would be one thing if you know you were a huge agency and you had a full-time developer and you had a full-time, you know, you know you've got your departments categorized and you have people that are specialized in, in those fields. Uh, then yeah, you're a one-stop shop. You can do everything, but where you're, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, you can get it done, uh, just through your own efforts. Um, but saying that and, and it's, you know, you plus, you know, a few other people, um, it's kind of like, yeah, exactly that. It's like almost detrimental just to, to not be specialized in a specific field. Well, and definitely as we've grown, uh, we have started using more specialized players. You know, we have uh, a web developer, for example, that's focused on just web dev. That's all he does. He's not designing for us. He's not building anything. He's just coding and and that's his thing, you know, and, but in the past, especially, you know, that used to be me, I, I would do the design and then I would code it and then I would build it out and then I would you know, test it and host it and everything else, you know, anything I can Mm -hmm. do for a buck, you know, so, but, uh, I think it's a story of, I I think that's pretty much the story of 90% of business owners. They, they kind of have to take on the, the role of multiple people, you know, like the, there's so many logos out there and websites out there that are horrible because they don't know any better, uh, just because they have to get one out and they haven't, don't have the money to, to hire, you know, in a lot of cases, too, it's not even, I mean, they, they don't even really care that much. You know, to be perfectly honest, they are an expert at their job or their product or whatever it is, and that's what they want to do. They, they don't really care about the logo part or the marketing part or whatever. They just want to sell their widget or work their, you know, company or whatever it is because that's their passion. Their passion isn't this other stuff. And so I think there's a little bit of blindness that occurs where people just, you know, it's not that they... Don't see the value in it. Yeah, they don't see the value in it, or they just don't even notice there's a problem. Yeah, I guess. So uh, maybe, maybe I'm kind of um, 
overly sensitive because of being friends with you. Like I'll see a logo and I'll take a picture of it and send it to you and be like, Hey, can you, yeah, that, that seems to be a byproduct of hanging out with me. My, my wife says the same thing. She notices yeah. herself being hypercritical of typography all the time. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like I'm not that critical, but if something is, you know, a mess, I usually will point it out. Well, you're and, not, uh, you don't think you're that critical because it's just second nature to you. Uh, everything you do just comes out awesome. Whereas, you know, seeing someone else try to do it, like me, for example, I'm not a graphic designer. I've had to learn Photoshop or Illustrator over the years just because, you know, it's petty for me to hit you up for something simple that, you know, you don't have time for. So I kind of had to just figure it out by watching you and, and you know, over time, you know. It's it's funny. Back when I did concert promotion back in the day, I did this uh, flyer for uh, a CD release party for um, what band was it? Regardless, it was. Um, I thought it was being. Right? Nah, it was like uh, twenty. I can't remember. I'll have to dig it up. But uh, I remember the flyer specifically because I thought I was being creative by putting the text, the the information for the show as graffiti art on a train. So I, I had this dark train and I had uh, text that described the show and it looked cool in my head. And as I was, you know, as I was making it, I could see everything and all the information was there and it was great. But when I printed the flyers and we started distributing them, the number one thing everyone said was, I, I, I didn't know anything about the show. Where's the date? Where's the time? Whatever. It's all hidden as graffiti on the train and it didn't register in my brain that other people wouldn't pick that up. And stuff like that, you don't really realize or figure out until you make the mistake. And by doing it and, you know, going through that and making that mistake, now I know it's, you know, how you laid out and the, the font and the, the typeface and everything that you use is important. And, um, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, no, it's true. And honestly, I mean, that's how even designers, people who do design as a discipline, you know, you can learn so much from books or from professors or from watching videos or, you know, from whatever your, your source is, but ultimately you're going to try and you're going to fail. I mean, and, and I mean, when I go back and I look at my old stuff from the, uh, the early days, the, uh, the concert posters and stuff I used to do for friends and stuff, it's so bad. Some of it is just so <laughs> awful, you know, I mean, there are a couple wins in there, but there, a lot of them are rudimentary versions of the stuff that I do today, and uh, you know, but I couldn't have gotten to the the level of skill I've got now if I hadn't first crossed that bridge. And so, uh, anyway, I think uh, you know, I, I I definitely think that there's there's no harm in uh, trial and uh, and error. Uh, well, when I we last night I was um, practicing uh, scratching. And I, I have two mixers that I use. I, ha I have a Rain 62 and a uh, TTM 57. The TTM 57 is the older mixer that had Serato built in. And um, it doesn't work with um, uh, Serato DJ. It works with Scratch Live. So I can only use it with my old computer or with vinyl. And so I usually leave that set up in the studio unless I'm recording a mix or something that I want to use my current laptop with. And when I have that set up, it's my mental thing that it's like, okay, this, this week I'm practicing scratching. 
And we were discussing yesterday trying to figure out what our topic was for the day. And I literally, while I was um, practicing scratching, I thought practice makes perfect. And uh, so after that, um, I, I sat down and started putting some thoughts on paper and trying to, to figure out, you know, like good talking points for this. And so I, I watched a few TED Talks and um, there's there's a few of them that are, are really good. Um, there's his name is Eduardo Briseno. I, I don't know if that's how to pronounce his last name. He, he did a talk on how to get better at things you care about. And one of the, the talks that, uh, one of the points that he was talking about, he had this graph on a PowerPoint, and he said there was two learning zones, uh, there's two zones, a learning zone and a performance zone. And in each zone, you have a goal, you have activities for improvement, uh, things that you're going to concentrate on, and mistakes that are, you know, in the learning zone, mistakes are to be expected. Uh, when you're in the learning zone, your goal is to improve. Uh, the activities that you're doing uh, are focused on improvement. So like in the DJ world, I would be trying to scratch and drop a beat in, or I do like an acapella loop and load another song underneath it. Or, you know, you're focusing on things that you, you're concentrating on things that you haven't mastered yet. When you're in the performance zone, so like if I'm playing at a venue or in a live environment, the goal is to do the best that you can. Uh, what you're trying to achieve is clean execution. You're concentrating on things that you have mastered and the mistakes are to be minimized. So he said that while you're in the performance zone, you're just trying to make it clean and and a good, solid performance. But if you're in the learning zone, you want to focus on improvement and doing things that you're not good at. And the object of doing that is to get better. And he said that a lot of the people that, uh, that they get stuck in performance zone. So they'll come home and they'll practice, but they're practicing in performance zone and they're not doing uh, things that they're not good at. So you're not getting better. You're getting your performance down and, and it's great. You know, at least you're making the effort, but you're wasting your time essentially. And uh, that really, that really kind of stuck out to me because it makes complete sense. And I've, I'm guilty of doing that. I'll come home and you know, mess around and not really focus on, you know, perfecting a scratch pattern or oh, yeah, something. I think that's super relevant because I, I mean, for me too, I'm a, a massive uh, advocate or victim. I don't know which it is of this thing because uh, I do the same thing. And I think a lot of designers do when uh, you learn a trick that works or whatever, you know, I mean, it's sort of, you know, equivalent to arrows in your quiver you know, you, you learn a few tricks, a few different techniques, you know, some different things that you're good at, and then you kind of rest on them, you know. The, the the best ones maybe don't, but, I mean, I think most average designers, guys that are doing production work or whatever, you know, you really hone a few things, and then you kind of live in that space. You see a lot of the work that's repetitive, like, I don't know, back 10 years ago, Drop Shadow was huge. And, well, do you and, remember when Apple uh, rolled out sort of the glossy? Uh, yeah. Like OS X, but it had the kind of the glossy logo? Yeah. That became like the hottest design trend or like sort of the iPhone icon look. You know, everything uh-huh. sort of looked like it was in a little glass box. 
I mean, everything, typography, everything had that sort of treatment done to it. And, you know, and it had a pretty decent run, but uh, became immediately dated, you know. It, I mean, it sort of lost trendiness pretty quick because of that. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, every, everybody it, learned that trick, and then they just beat the, you know, beat it into the ground. Speaking of that, though, I don't think that, you know, unless you're in the design world, and this is kind of why you want to hire a professional designer and why you want to, you know, maybe not try to do something that you like create your logo by yourself because these trends, I can look at a logo and date it. Like I can, that's, he's had that logo for 10 years just because of working with you and the design trends that were popular 10 years ago. And, um, you know, most people probably wouldn't pick up on that. Are you there? <coughs> yeah. Sorry. Hacking. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you're you're one hundred percent right, and and I think that is true. That you know, if you're not working with a professional, uh, you know, it's it's really would be really easy for someone to not be up on what's current. And even as somebody that works on the business, you know, I still spend a lot of time nose down on the grind working. Uh, you know, I don't get to sit around and, and do a lot of studying every day. Not near as much as I should in terms of keeping up on trends. So, you know, I may not be 10 steps ahead. You know, I might only be three steps ahead. But uh, but at least you're paying attention to it, whereas yeah, most well, people aren't. And I try. I'm also, you know, really good about being observant, you know, seeing what's going on, seeing what the stuff around me looks like. You know, and so I think that that's a, uh, you know, a really important part of this. You know, it's not necessarily about picking up the uh, uh, CA each month. It's about, you know seeing what's around you, seeing what, you know, what's happening, you know, keeping an eye on, you know, social media, different channels, you know, looking online, seeing what's coming out, what's trending, what's happening. And, uh, all that stuff will, you know, help up your game. So, yeah. Um, anyways, back to the Ted talks. I watched like four of them. Um, I'm only going to talk about three of them, but because yeah, we're no, that's running, okay. Yeah, go ahead and riff a little, man. I'm I'm having a, a coughing fit over here. Sure. Um, one of the the TED talks I watched was by Sal Khan. I think it's K H A N, and it's a talk called "Let's Teach for Mastery and Not Test Scores." And I thought that this was a really unique idea, and I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, one of the things he talked about was in today's education system, you. You, you study as a class and you say you're learning basic algebra. You take a test on basic algebra and there's a percentage of the class that passes with, you know, flying colors. There's another percentage that passes with like 75% and then there's the rest who fail. And what happens is the people that passed with flying colors and obviously understand the topic uh, move on and they, the, the, the class as a whole moves on because they can't wait for the people that fail. And the people who passed, they have the understanding. They move on, they, they, they get it, and then the next test they do good, and the next test they do good, and the next test they do good. The people that failed didn't have a basic understanding in the first place, whether it's you know they just don't understand or they didn't put in the effort. Either way, they didn't get it. And so what happens is, they move on with the rest of the class and the stuff that they were missing out on on the first test now compiles. So the next test, they're trying to, you know, not only learn the new material, but figure out what they didn't know in the first place. And then the next test and the next test. And then they finally get into this, you know, 
screw it, I'm done. I, I don't want to put forth any more effort because I don't get it. Obviously, I'm not a math guy. And he uh, he broke it down. He was like, if there was a way that we could um, get the students to that, you know, if they don't understand something, you work with them until they figure it out. Once they figure it out, you move on to the next step. You move on to the next step. You move on to the next step. He said that that back in you know the fifties and sixties and seventies that wasn't possible. It was just too hard to do a track for every single person in the class. Now with the advent of internet and programs like Lynda.com, and uh, you know you can go back uh, and put your student in their own kind of course. And once they pass it, they move on. Once they pass it, they move on. And and I love that thought. And the reason I love it is because um, when I was four or five, uh, my mom uh, put me in piano classes. And uh, it, it's great. I, I'm 100% appreciative of it. I, I'm, I would advocate that most people, if they can, get their kids in some sort of music program or, um, you know, pick up an instrument. I think it, it helps and does wonders. But uh, she put me in piano and the, the way I learned it was called Suzuki. And um, essentially what it is, is it's ear training. Uh, my piano teacher, we'd go in and we'd meet with her and uh, she would play a song and it would be very basic. It would be like Mary Had a Little Lamb or just a pattern. It would start off with a pattern of, you know... Um, this is going to sound funny, but pepperoni pizza, pepperoni pizza. You know, like we, she would sing stuff like that to get it into my head. We have a new sound uh, bite for next week. We've got uh, to put that in the little button bar. Uh, ain't going to happen. Don't even. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, by doing that, my my brain and my, the way I learned it, it just kind of, um, I didn't I didn't learn how to read music. Uh, um, by the time I was like seven or eight, I was playing Mozart and Beethoven, but I couldn't, I couldn't sit down and read sheet music. And it was, um, you know, we, we moved, uh, from Ellensburg where that piano teacher was. And we moved to, um, gig Harbor, Washington. And I switched piano teachers and I sat down and she was blown away. She's like, wow, you're, you're amazing. You can play like great. Uh, put music in front of me I didn't know what the hell I was going on so I had to relearn how to to play music but the thing that was cool about the Suzuki method was that you didn't move on until you perfected the song before so I was very um I I would say I'm a perfectionist and it's to I would say it's kind of to my downfall because uh now as a DJ and, and as a you know, in my career, I kind of, I'm afraid to get out of the box, um, to an extent. Uh, I don't, I don't create music very well. Like I, I have a friend that's an improv pianist and he can sit down and just play anything. And it drives me nuts because I, I literally have to, now I either have to have the sheet music in front of me or I have something that I've memorized from forever ago that I can sit down and just play. I can't jam. And so I'm kind of jealous, and I'm, I'm working on that, actually. It's, it's a goal of mine to learn how to do improv. Um, so loop back around. Work, 
perfect your practice, when you perfect your pra- practice, move on to the next thing and move, and do it in steps. And, and I, I think that method method is, is awesome. And I would, well, uh, and, and like you were saying earlier, it's super important to force yourself to do hard things. You know, basically you need resistance, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, building a muscle or whatever, you know, you need to have resistance in order to, you know, push back against it. And so if you just do what, what comes easy and, and it's natural, I mean, of course, when you find the easiest path to doing something, that's where you want to live. But, uh, but you're, you're definitely going to get more out of it the more you put in, you know, basically. And, and if something becomes too commonplace or too simple for you, then it's important to push yourself. Try something new. Try a new technique. Try a new song. Try a new style of music, whatever it is. You know, um, it's funny because, like, when I was in math class in high school, I wasn't good. I, I, same kind of thing happened to me. I, I didn't learn it. I, I just kind of floated by if I could. And while they're they're learning, you know, quadratic equations, I'm sitting here teaching myself how to spin a pencil on, in my hand. I'm impressed you remember me, quadratic, though. Well, well, I did pick up a few things. But yeah, anyways, my priority was perfecting how to flick a pencil because it's tangible. It's something that I can figure out and perfect and get done. I used to make paper cranes and origami and stuff, and I'd do it over and over and over again, and I would use tweezers to make them smaller just because little stuff like that I, I excelled in. I learned how to juggle. I could juggle pins. I could do, you know, stupid. I, I You know, it's it's not life-important skills, but I found it. Tell me it's paper you know, footballs. The most important thing you could too. make were the paper footballs. Dude, I I was so good at those and kicked those across <laughs> the table. Anyways, um, I I think it's just the way I learn is different than you know most education methods out there. I, I just have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And um, uh, one of the points that someone was talking about in one of those TED talks, he brought up uh, Parkinson's law. Um, uh, Parkinson's law is um. Uh, it's the adage that work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you have, if you wait until the last day to do your homework, uh, you have one night to do it. If you spend a week preparing for it, then you spend all week doing it. Uh, I did a DJ battle once in Seattle and, and the promoters, the people put it on, didn't really know what they were doing. They gave us, all of three days to put a set together for a DJ battle. And it was an open format style. And, um, if I had the time, I would have spent a, spent a month preparing for it, but I had three days. And so I was able to put together a set in three days and get it, you know, somewhat adequate. I, I pulled it down off of SoundCloud because I wasn't impressed with it myself. Um, but I mean, like, you'll spend the amount of time it takes to get the the project done in the amount of time you have available. And, uh, I thought that kind of stood out and was kind of interesting to think about. Um, he also said that, uh, this is Tim Ferriss. Uh, the talk is called smash fear, learn everything. Uh, he said that fear is your friend. Um, most people don't think that way. Uh, most people are afraid to step out on the ledge and take the leap. Um, he, pointed out, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, you know, you just got to think in that mindset and, 
you know, go for it. And by doing that and stepping out on the ledge, you're going to challenge yourself. And by challenging yourself, you're going to learn. And so yeah. it's important to do. Well, and I think in general, I mean, I, I'm a Tim Ferriss fan. I mean, not so far as to say a, a groupie, but I've read the books. Uh, I'm reading Tools of Titans right now, which is his latest. Nice. And, I'll have uh, to check that out. Yeah, I mean, it's massive, but it's basically uh, in a series of interviews with, I don't know what it is, 200 of the, the world's most influential people in different subjects and different things. You know, So he talks to, I don't know, the best chef, the best... Uh, power lifter, the best, you know, whatever it is, people who are exceptional and who've accomplished great things, you know, and talks to them a little bit about their process and everything else. And, and what I like about Tim is that he's really good about breaking things down, like sort of to, I don't know, practical, practical things. Like he really goes in and deconstructs what's going on. And, uh, and so, you know, it does make it sort of easy to, to implement some of his ideas or to sort of at least understand how they work and, and determine if it's going to work for you. Um, uh, the one book of his, I, I bought it, but I haven't really gotten through it is his four hour chef. And, uh, you know, but basically it's a, a cookbook of all these recipes and a bunch of techniques on, on how you can quickly learn to cook. But, uh, the reason I bought it was there's actually a section in there on language learning and, uh, some shortcuts on language learning. And, uh, he's, uh, I mean, I, I just, I think he's a really bright guy. I think, you know, I like his, his work in general. Um, I did try, I don't know. I, did you ever read four hour work week? Um, I did, but I I honestly can't for him. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing with that one is sort of, there's a lot of stuff about trying to automate your life, you know, virtual assistants, blah, 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 different things. And, uh, and I did try and, uh, uh, implement a couple of his techniques uh, from that book. And I would say with moderate success, um, some I wasn't as fully committed to as he, he says in there, but I mean, one of them is being able to kind of travel abroad and work abroad and, and, uh, and things like that. I mean, of course I'm doing it not in the way that he describes where he had a few minutes of leisure time and everything else. But, um, you know, but still, I mean, sort of his inspiration or the way he talked in that book is sort of in the in the same spirit or sort of to me was sort of in the same spirit of that you can do anything kind of mentality and uh you know anything or all things are, are possible and uh and I really like that about him in general and I mean he's got a TV show and some other things his podcast is great so uh yeah in general yeah, I I think it's worth listening in on uh, on old Tim Ferriss well speaking about how he he would interview people who were great at their their subject or, or their profession into the masters, you know, he, he's trying to analyze what they do different than everyone else that makes them succeed. And on that note, I have another Ted talk. Um, uh, it was, uh, David Blaine and he went into talking about how he learned to hold his breath for 17 minutes. Uh, if, if you know anything about David Blaine, he's crazy. Uh, he's a magician in, in the States and he does stuff like, um, suspend himself in a glass box for four months and he's nothing but water person um mind over power like he essentially he he kind of um he likes to do things that people would assume are impossible and holding your holding your breath for 17 minutes is one of those things yeah i feel like there's got to be a little autism or something involved though but uh, but I do, think, uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, my kids love his his TV programs and stuff, and I mean, you know, of course, I get sucked in and watch that crap too. I love it, 
So, uh, yeah, no, he's great. But, I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely the uh, poster boy for Mind Over Matter. Yeah. Um, one thing that he pointed out and, and kept talking about is keep trying after failure. He said the first time that he tried to do it, uh, he had read an article about um, – uh, a boy that had fallen through some ice water and was underwater for 45 minutes, but was able to be resuscitated with no uh, brain damage. And uh, he's like, oh, well, that, obviously that's the key. So the first time he tried it, he filled a bathtub up with ice water, got in, and utter failure. He he normally, like, he, he had been learning how to hold his breath for a long time, and he could do it for like three and a half, four minutes just normally. But when he got in underwater, his muscles were shaking and constricting and, and causing problems to where he couldn't, uh, he was using more oxygen out of his blood system. So he couldn't, uh, um, hold it for as, as long as he normally did. And then he tried another technique, um, multiple times he would try these different techniques. He tried to put, you know, one of the doctors said, Hey, you're a uh, magician. Why don't you fake it? So they tried putting in some artificial breathing apparatus down his throat so that it would look like he was holding his breath when really he wasn't. They tried recycling air. They tried doing all these different things to do it. And then he sat down and, and realized the only way to do this is to actually do this. And he started doing research on the divers that would go and do these uh, solo dives, you know, set world records for how far down they can go on a single breath. He'd study how they would prep to do that. And then there, there's also another type of um, uh, holding your breath that they would actually, uh, you would breathe pure O2. Um, so it would get all the, uh, it, would, it, it would essentially get all the bad stuff out of your blood so he could hold his breath longer. And that's how he ended up holding his breath for 17.6 minutes or something like that. And he did it on the Oprah show. And yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Um, the ending of that talk kind of hit home to me. And it, it, he said, it all comes down to practice, training, and experimenting while pushing through the pain to be the best. And he actually broke down when he started saying pushing, experimenting while pushing through the pain. And, um, you know, it's, it's obviously something that's kind of, you know, close to his heart because he's, he's had to do it. He's had to fail. He's had to get past the the crap to succeed. And, you know, that kind of hit home to me because, you know, I've, I've, we've talked about this. I've lost my ass promoting. I've, I've failed multiple times and, um, you know, it, it's nice to see someone like him who's successful admits to the failure and, and says it's a learning curve and then move on and get past it and perfect it. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuck out to me. So anyways, uh, you know, just a, uh, breakdown of, you know, practice makes perfect. It's cliche. I know, but it's true. The more time you spend perfecting something, the better you're going to get, put yourself in challenging situations, do things you're not comfortable with. Uh, for me right now, uh, one of the things I'm trying to do or, or get better at is talking on the mic. Um, when I DJ, I, I usually just play music. I don't do any hype. I don't do any interaction with the crowd. And that's something that I really need to work on. Um, and it's something I've been setting up a wireless mic at my gigs where I, as before some gigs, I wouldn't even set up a mic because I knew I didn't need it. And, um, you know, you just got to keep pushing yourself. 
No, that's an true. And, and we'll talk about it a little more some other time. I think we may have brought the book up on the show before this book, The War of Art, but there, there's a lot of stuff in there about resistance and about things pushing back and overcoming. So maybe we'll, we'll revisit that book at a later point. It's a, a big one we, for we have. people. Yeah, but that's a great it's, one. Uh, it's, it's really good about just talking about, you know, sort of the importance of resistance, but also powering through it. And, uh, and I think if, if people only take one thing away from the show today, I think really it's, you know, this really cool bag that I've got. It's actually, uh, <laughs> I can't even remember the name. New neck, knock, knock, new neck. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no, it's, it's the, you know, you really do have to put yourself out there and you've got to try hard things if you ever want to improve. And, uh, and that's just nature. There's no shortcuts. There's no ways around it. You know, practicing the stuff you're great at all the time isn't going to move the needle. You, you've really got to well, put yourself out there and try. And in, in the, the whole DJ world and the performing arts world, if you do the same show every single time, people get bored with it. Unless you're Elton so, John. I think you can get away with it if you're Elton John. Tiny dancer on repeat. Every time. Um, yeah, anyways, no, seriously, like uh, if I'm playing at the same venue, I, I try to take a mental note of what I played last month so I don't repeat things. But I, I, I'll come out and say that I, I prep stuff. Like I, I'll use stuff over and over again, and um, I'll perfect it. And, and you know, I try to, when I'm playing on the road, I'll try and, you know, pay attention to what I played at this venue last time so at least there's a month or two in between people hearing the same thing, you know. Yeah. It, it, but Well, and I think that's, you know, respectful for the people who are coming out to see you. It's respectful for the club. You know, I mean, they're hiring you as a performer, but they're not looking for the same gig, you know. I mean, they, they, yeah. they want to see something change, too. But, you know, conversely, it's good for you, too. You know, it makes you look like a better performer. It makes you, you know, stand out more among the crowd. You know, I mean, it's it's all good for you. And, and I guess that's the point, right? I mean, you put yourself in these challenging positions, but it's not to help others. It's to help you. It's to make you better and help you grow. And, yeah. uh, you know, the byproduct is you can do a better show, you can put on a better performance, you can, you know, help a client solve the challenge better, whatever it is. But, you know, it, it really ultimately helps you out. So uh, by comparison, like there's certain venues I'm very comfortable playing at, and there's other venues that I go into, uh, Jazz Bones in Tacoma. Uh, when I play there, they put me center stage in front of everyone. It's like a rock concert venue, not a nightclub lots of nightclubs you're in a booth hidden away people can't see you you don't feel like you're being watched for all they know you're playing a mix cd that's already recorded but when you're in that live environment and people are watching you and you're in front of the world it literally changes everything i still get goosebumps i still like um am nervous to start the night off and and uh it it's it's good to be in those situations. It's good to f be afraid to mess mess up. It's good to, you know, actually mess up live. And when I do mess up live, I get on the mic and say, "Ah, shit! I just fucked up." That's what <laughs> happens when you hit the wrong button, and everyone laughs and they realize that you're actually doing this versus, um, you know, having that recorded mix. About last year, there's a competition, uh, the Red Bull Three Styles competition. There's a DJ. Um, I don't even, I, even if I did know the state or the, where he came from, I'm not even gonna say it because I don't want to throw shade his way, even though he brought it on himself. He literally pre-recorded his entire DJ competition set 
and had it playing not like Red Bull three styles is a big competition. And he was, he was like, if you can win your region, that says a lot. And he, he won. But when they went back and all the DJs were watching the videos, there were little, little things that were out of sync and little things that were not quite right. And, um, it took a trained eye to figure it out, but he literally hit play and then faked the whole thing. And nothing will ruin your career more than doing that. It'd be better to fuck up royally on a major scale in front of everyone than to fake it and pretend like you're doing it. And, you know, it's well, it's, it's just whack. You know, you never you know? want to be seen as a fraud or whatever. I mean, well... That's that's kind of strange, actually, though, because we used to have when we were kind of growing or whatever, we had this mentality, and we we talked about it all the time: fake it till you make it. And uh, well, that's a whole other subject that we can yeah, talk I mean, about. I feel like that can be taken with a you know a little bit of a grain of salt. I've always been an advocate for you know if you want people to treat you like you're big, act like you're big, even if you're not. And uh, you know, I mean, there there has to be a little bit of ego. I mean, for me, it's it's more about you know behaving in the way that you would want to behave, you know, more than it is being fraudulent or, or trying to fake people. It's more about acting as if, you know, you're, you're trying to perform at a level of somebody who's bigger than you. Well, and, and, and I mean, and ultimately I'm, everything's going to boil down to put up or shut up. You yeah. know, you, you, I mean, you can fake it until you make it, but if you can't put up when you're asked to put up, you know, and which, you know, is the case like you're talking about, you know, you're done. Yeah. Well, and, and the, I mean, to an extent, that's kind of how I got to where I'm at now is I kind of, you know, like I learned by messing up. I learned by doing things that I didn't realize were cliche or, you know, not cool. Um, the, like as I've mentioned before in the past, my anything goes mixes, the first six of them are entirely studio edits. Like if I mess something up, I'd go chop it up and I'd, I'd fix it and put it out, and I had a, a vocal drop um, that I had made. A little insider tip, if you guys are looking for good vocal drops or, you know, DJ drops, like, live in the mix, you're in, you know, whatever, uh, go to Fiverr.com, and they have vocal talent that you can spend $5, give them a script, and, and they'll read your script for you in different voices you could get like a sexy chick to do it or some guy with a accent or whatever but uh that's a good way to get drops lots of guys you know i i can there's one guy in particular that does drops and i'm guilty of having bought some from him in the past but i didn't know any other way and i can always tell the newer guys by <laughs> when that guy does their drops for him but anyways um my favorite i had is the jamaican guy by the way <laughs> the, the, yeah. the dude that does the Jamaican drops on y'all man I, I can't even do accents <laughs> I don't even know what that was yeah, anyways um, <laughs> the, this, I had this chick and, I, and she did a drop for me and it was literally live in the mix you're listening to Anything Goes with DJ Ontic and the first three or four ones my justification was yeah I'm doing this live but I'm editing it and I'm kind of fixing it I was like it's live and then my buddy called me, called me out, and he's like, "100 percent, that's bullshit." And until he said something about it, I didn't even think about the fact that it's false advertising. It's me saying that live in the mix, like I'm fucking doing this, standing here in front of you. And so I've kind of 
realize that, yeah, that's not cool. And now when I do a recording, if it's a studio fixed recording, it doesn't, it never says live in the mix, uh, because I don't want to, I don't want to tell people I'm doing it live when I'm not. Um, I am a perfectionist. If I fuck up royally, I go back and fix it. Um, if I am doing something live, it, the, I'll label it live in the mix and kind of release it from there. But Mixed anyways, in the studio with TJ Antic. <laughs> yeah, I just do. You're <laughs> listening to DJ Antic or whatever. I just tag it so people know I made it. Cool. Well, hey, I, we're starting to get kind of long in the tooth on this episode, but I wanted I wanted to take one little left hand turn, and we didn't talk about this in advance, but sure. Um, I, and, and tell me, you know, if you have any experience with this or, or not. I mean, we weren't bros or anything, but uh, but I, I heard the news the other day about uh, Chester from uh, like oh, a dude, and yeah. uh, for a lot of people, like sort of in our age group, Chester was you know big deal, important guy. You know, Lincoln Park was a really important band for a lot of us, and uh, and you know, and you I know, had <clears throat> well, and and you and I, I, I mean, I don't know if you had any experience with him, but I know that you and I. Being in Arizona, he he was you know a big part of, of Arizona for a little while down there in Phoenix. He had a club tattoo down there, tattoo, which is his tattoo yeah. shop. He yep. uh, you know was sort of in the scene down there. I did have a, a couple of opportunities early in in the career of Lincoln Park in uh, oh God, it was maybe '96. I used to run around with um, or maybe 2006. I was only 16 then, so yeah, probably 2006. Yeah. Um, I was I was rolling around with uh, this uh, music group, the the Cottonmouth Kings, back then, and uh, we were doing a show, or they were performing. I was at a show in Salt Lake City before I lived there, and uh, we were playing with a group called Rehab, who went on to be a little bit more famous. I mean, they never got huge or anything, but they're they're you know they have a band. couple hits, and yeah. uh, and then uh, a young group that nobody had ever heard of before called. Lincoln. And uh, I just remember, I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, we, we weren't close, Chester and I, or anything, you know, we don't have any long-lasting memories, but I did have this memory of, of that day uh, on tour, uh, spending a little time with him and uh, Mike Shinoda and the dudes from the band. You know, these, they were all just young dudes coming out, and, you know, at the time, Cottonmouth Kings was the bigger one. And, uh, you know, I just remember spending the whole afternoon dinking around on the Razor scooters and screwing around with those guys out front of the venue. That's and, so awesome. uh, you know, meanwhile, watching them, you know, they're putting their, you know, cassette tapes on the uh, on the tables in the bar, you know, so people would take a cassette tape home with them and stuff, and, you know. And uh, anyway, it was it was, you know, it was a cool experience. And now now looking back on it, you know, uh, the following summer, they were the biggest band in the world. And, you know, they that's when Hybrid Theory came out. And, you know, they, they instantly became the big, you know, biggest band in the world, one of my favorites. And, and you know deserved everything they got i mean amazing man but i I never oh go ahead but anyway i was just gonna say that this whole thing with chester you know it's been interesting because actually you know i didn't realize just how big lincoln park was i mean i I knew they were big in the states and everything but it's actually been kind of you know it was big news here too it was you know front page headline news also here in spain and uh you know a number of uh like anna's friends and stuff you know all all know the band all you know they were putting stuff up on instagram and everything you know, so I, I, I think it's important to recognize, you know, all the good that, that they did and, and all the good that Chester did in his life. But in, in, I don't know, it feels a little weird to even do something like this. But I mean, the 
you know, with that and with, you know, Chris Cornell recently sort of going out the same way. And, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon in the music business anyway. But I just wanted to say, you know, for anybody who's who's sort of struggling or having problems, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of these issues are coming up from, you know, pills or addictions or past addictions or uh, mental illness, other other things. But I mean, there's always help out there. And so I just wanted to plug the uh, 800 number for the National Suicide Prevention, you know, hotline and just kind of put that out there. I mean, you know, we don't have a massive audience, but you never know who's listening to this show. And and, uh, you know, the, for whatever reason, this whole thing with Chester is really sort of sat funky with me. And uh, and so I just wanted to sort of, you know, give out the 800 number, do our little PSA and just sort of say, you know, if you if you need help, you can get it. And so do you, do you have that handy. Yeah, I do. The uh, the phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. They can do it in English. They can do it in Spanish. They're set up for deaf, uh, hard of hearing. You know, they can chat. You know, whatever it is you need, you know, if, if you need support of any kind, if you're just trying to get through a hard time, you know, even if you're not that serious about it, you know, talk to these people and uh, and and head it off before it becomes a real problem. I mean, Chester had, you know, six kids, you know, I don't know what his marital status was at this point, you know, but at least an ex or two. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people in his life, not to mention just the fans and everybody else affected by this. And, you know, you don't have to be the biggest rock singer in the world that, you know, have a massive effect on, on the people in your life and, and those around you. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, sometimes maybe just ending it all or whatever, calling it a rap seems like the easiest solution, but I think just in general, it's not. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I just, I, I just wanted yeah. to take a moment cause I was a little bit, you know, on my mind this week, uh, you know, cause I sort of, I mean, I, I guess we should talk about OJ too, but the, you know, the show's, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, let it, we'll let it slide. But, uh, but, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't know. This news came, like, I got it, like, a day late. It sort of arrived to me in a weird way. And just, you know, it just got me thinking. So, it, you know. I just hate waking up and seeing, you know, the news and seeing stuff like that. And, and it, it, it puts you in a funk the rest of the day and you're all you're thinking about it. And uh, it, it, it also kind of goes to say that, you know, like, these people that... Um, you know Chester and and um, the the artists that are you know they're financially set they 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 they're not lacking for money they're not lacking for you know food or or necessities that some people are struggling with it's, it it goes to say that depression doesn't you know it it it's not for only the people that don't have, you know, financial success or are stuck in a dead end job, or you know, it affects everyone. It's not something that that's um, specific to one one type of person. Um, granted, uh, I would I would venture to say that um, performing artists take things personally. Uh, little things when. When someone boos me, I, 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 I've had it happen multiple, especially when I moved to Idaho. It's weird. Uh, people are, I take things, I'm hypercritical about things. And it's hard to get out of your own head when um, people don't appreciate your work, don't appreciate the effort you're putting into it. And most of the time it's drunk assholes that don't realize the effect that they have on, on you and what they're saying. And, um, It'll stick with me for four weeks, five weeks, until I forget about it. And when I forget about it, it's great. But 
then I'll be reminded of something and it, and it comes back up and and I get back in this funk and um, I would say that that um, people in that are like that have to really take time for some mental evaluation and to figure you know to 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 step back and and realize that who cares what's like get over it uh if people don't like your work there's other people that do and um yeah. and, and you know, having and people definitely ha- having go ahead sorry having that 800 number and having people to talk to works miracles yeah and that's uh, the thing i mean like with these guys i mean you don't need to be you know standing on that chair with the the rope around your neck ready to go to call them i mean you know call these guys if you're thinking about it. call these guys if it's your friend or your family or your brother or whomever i mean yeah. you know it doesn't have to be you you know i mean maybe it's someone you know and you you don't know how to help somebody through a challenge and well and you know, if, if you if you even know someone that you think might be thinking about it or you think might be having depression a battle with depression or something like that reach out to them hit them up for sure well and i mean if this isn't your channel talk to your pastor talk to your mom talk to somebody but just talk so anyway not to end on too much of a downer and you know i mean i'm no no stranger to you know emotional ups and downs and stuff and we can get into that another time but you know i just wanted to to end on this because that that news is still a little fresh for me and uh, I had kind of a fun experience with the guy in life. And so I, I just wanted to, to, you know, talk about that real briefly. So once again, let me give you the phone number. Uh, it's uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Website is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And uh, we'll put all that in the show notes and everything. So uh, anyway, on that note, uh, which is sort of a downer, uh, <laughs> Let's uh, let's go out on a couple plugs. Uh, if you need any information uh, about me or the business, uh, R2 Media Group here in Barcelona or in the states, it's R2 Media Group or R2MG.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at R2MG or on Instagram at R2 Media Group. Uh, you can find me at DJOntic.com. That's O-N-T-I-C. All my social links are there. Mixes, uh, tour dates, anything you want to know is on there. Uh, if you want to book me, you can do that as well on there. <laughs> Ooh, I, like that. I know. So, yeah. and then, uh, and then finally, you know, follow, follow our show, uh, you know, like rate, like subscribe, tell a friend, tell your mom, uh, you know, tell your friend's mom, you know, anybody you can just spread the good word around. We, you know, we appreciate the support we've gotten so far. I mean, we're, we're still a, uh, a little egg here, but you know, we're, we're trying to grow and, and we appreciate all the support we're getting. So yeah. uh, hit us up. It's uh, eggscast.com or uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Eggs Show. Okay, one, one more time with the 800 number just in case they didn't get in the first two times. Okay, and last time, uh, this is National Suicide Prevention Hotline. If you're in crisis or if you know somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, in memory of Chester and all those who have uh, gone before him, uh, 1-800-273-8255. And right. on that, let's uh, let's call it a wrap. We'll uh, talk to you soon, and I'll see you stateside next week. Good deal. Looking forward to seeing you in person. All right. Have a good one.